Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let streams of living water flow through our churches and our cities as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us, showing ourselves to be your disciples. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Mark, I, uh, I think I want you to read scripture for me every week. I love that voice. Praise the Lord. Um, most of us who are here today know the Christmas story very well. In fact, if I were to ask you to tell me the Christmas story, you would probably be able to get just about all of the details. One of the interesting things, however, is that if you were to tell the Christmas story, it is likely that your story would primarily follow what is found in the Gospel of Luke. For it is in Luke that we hear the story of the birth of Jesus from the perspective primarily of Mary, his mother. She is the one that learns about the fact that she is with child and is spoken to her and her obedience is expressed. It is there that we hear about the trip by the Holy Family to um, Bethlehem and the, Beth, the birth of the baby in the, in the stable and all of the things that are a part of the story with which we are most familiar we also uh, learn one part of the, gospel, of the story that is found primarily in Matthew that most of us know very well, and that's the story of what we sometimes call the wise men, the, uh, the magi who come from the east and bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Those are the parts of the story that we know very well. One thing that we may not realize, however, is that when the early church was coming into existence, they probably didn't have all four Gospels available to them to be able to compare and get the whole story. And so there would be probably quite a few people who the only story they knew about the birth of Jesus was that which was given to them in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew's Christmas story is one that I think we need to sometimes hear. But I'd like to invite you to do something with me this morning. It may take a little challenge. It's kind of hard for me to do something like this. But I'd like for you to imagine that you know nothing about the birth of Jesus. That you don't have any idea about the idea of the virgin birth and the, the, all of the things that we always associate with our understanding of the Christmas story. And let's just imagine that the only thing that we're going to know about the Christmas story is what we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? Now, Matthew is a very important one of the Gospels. It includes so much of the things about Jesus that we have come to know and to understand. But when it comes to the Christmas story, it focuses on things that are a little different than what we sometimes focus upon. Matthew's primary concern is that we understand that this Jesus who has come is the Messiah, the Christ, in fact, the word Christ means the anointed, the Messiah. In writing his gospel, the one thing that Matthew wants anyone who is reading this gospel, the good news to know, is that Jesus is the promised one that the people of Israel have been waiting for. And he is here to convince them and to remind them that Jesus is the answer, the solution for all that the people of Israel have been expecting. 
And so throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he is constantly talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus as the coming king out of the lineage of David. He is telling them about the kingdom of heaven. He is helping them to understand that the wait is over. The time has come that the Messiah has arrived. Now, Matthew begins his case, his explanation, by giving to us a genealogy about the birth of Jesus to convince us that this Jesus qualifies to be the Messiah. And so when you read the Gospel of Matthew, he begins with this genealogy. And he starts with Abraham as the one that Jesus is the son of. He qualifies as a son of Abraham, the man who began it all in the very beginning in terms of the people of Israel. He is also the son of David, who is the king and the one who is the example of who the Messiah is going to be. And so he traces down all of this lineage to convince us that Jesus qualifies to be the Messiah. But then he does something very unexpected for those of us that are used to what we understand here, and that is he ends his lineage not with Mary, but with Joseph. Joseph. Now, I think most of you know, we know enough to know that Joseph wasn't really his dad, was he? Hmm? Joseph was not the one who bore Jesus. But yet for Matthew, he wants us to know that the qualification that made Jesus the Messiah was also connected with this one who ultimately became his adoptive father. I think you know that this idea of adoption is a very big thing in the gospel of Jesus Christ especially for us, because to be adopted into the, the family of God, that's what makes us as Christians a part of this family. We are not there by birth. We are there because we have been adopted in. So was Jesus. I'd like for us to, though, this morning, to spend some time looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of this adoptive father we call Jesus, we call Joseph. I'd like for us to think about what it must have liked to have been Joseph, who is the one who becomes the one because of his unique adoptive relationship with Jesus, participates in Jesus being the Messiah, the King. I'm going to read this story and I'm going to make some comments because I want us to understand that Joseph really is, in many ways, the unsung hero in what I am sometimes referring as the scandal of the birth of the Messiah. You know that birth of Jesus? By any measures and standards was a scandalous one. It was not fitting according to what people thought their king should be. Follow this along with me. As we have already heard it read, but I want to read it to you again. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
Okay, here he is saying, this is how your king, your Messiah, your anointed one came into this world. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that is an aspect of the birth of Jesus that many of us probably today don't understand because our practices with regard to engagement and marriage and all of that stuff are quite different from what they were back in those days. Probably the, relation, the marriage between Joseph and Mary was an arranged one. But I, has a, I have a suspicion that Joseph was pretty happy about this arrangement because he was getting a winner, okay? We, we, we know enough about Mary from the other stories that she was top-notch, okay? So can you imagine what Joseph must have been feeling like when he found out that his parents had arranged for him to be married to this special, wonderful lady we now know as the Virgin Mary? But for Joseph... This was the beginning of everything that he had been planning and looking forward to in life. He probably himself was in his late teens or early 20s. Mary was probably in her earlier teens, still a young, beautiful lady. It's possible that Joseph did not know a lot about her, but I'm sure that he had at least known enough to know that this is good stuff. But... As I think I wish more people would understand today, he had to wait. It was probably going to be from the time that he was betrothed to Mary, became engaged to her, it was probably a year before they were going to actually become married. But legally, the marriage had already taken place. In other words, Joseph and Mary were legally husband and wife. It's just that the marriage had not become, become ceremonially completed. And so he had during this year, and Mary had during this year, the responsibility to behave as though they're already married, even though they are, no, they are not yet living together. They're not really acting like husband and wife, but they are husband and wife. And it lasts for a year, Okay. Well, here's, here's what basically happens. Joseph and Mary, and Joseph is saying, wow, this is going to be a good year. When, when this year's over, I am going to really have it made. It's gonna, I'm going to really be able to get started with life. I'm going to be able to really get on with things. And then scandal hits poor Joseph. It says, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't really know how Joseph found out about this. But chances are it wasn't from Mary. Okay? Chances are someone came to him and said, Did you know that the woman that you are married to is pregnant? Um, now, I don't care who you are, that would be pretty disappointing news to Joseph, don't you think? In fact, Joseph is probably devastated at this point. What am I going to do? 
Okay. Now, this is what it says. It says, because Joseph, her husband, see that thing that he was legally already married. Joseph was already legally married, but they weren't living together yet. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or as most of us have probably heard it, he was a righteous man. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, here's the reason I think this is an important story for us. Throughout life, we are going to be faced with circumstances that are not unlike what Joseph is dealing with here. When our hopes our aspirations, our expectations of what is going to take place are being absolutely destroyed with what we see as the behaviors of someone else. Joseph probably had no alternative than to conclude that Mary was guilty of adultery. In fact, he had proof that she had been unfaithful to him because she was with child and he knew he wasn't the father. He was a righteous man. Now, that's one of the things it says about Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. He was a man who was committed to the law, to fulfilling what the law said he was to do. And you know what? Joseph actually had... um, He had instructions from the law that told him what he was supposed to do if this situation arose. You know what he was supposed to do? He was supposed to make it known that his wife had been unfaithful and to announce to all the world that he was going to divorce this adulteress. That's what a righteous man was supposed to do. Okay, he was supposed to, he was required by the law to divorce her. You know, one of the things we need to realize is that doing the right thing is not always the nice thing. And that's what Joseph was being faced with. But it also says, even though he was a man who was committed to doing the right thing, he apparently was also a man who was filled with compassion and mercy. He did not want to submit, subject her to public disgrace. And so I believe that one of the things this scripture is telling us is a little bit about the character of Joseph. I hope it's, I hope it's true of the character of all of us and that we are a people who are people who are people committed to both justice and mercy. To be a child of God, to be the kind of people God wants us to be, we are always looking for the realization that to do the right thing needs to also be sometimes tempered to be doing the merciful thing. We need to be a people who are grasping a hold of those two qualities and those two characteristics. And I think we all know of people who always want to to err on on the side of justice and righteousness and doing the right thing, no matter who gets hurt. And then there are those who are saying it's all about mercy and pace and, and grace and so forth. Joseph was one of those people who wanted and believed in both of those. And I am one of those too, aren't you? And, and when we do that, we begin to look for solutions that allows both of those to be true. And that's what Joseph 
had decided he was going to do. He was going to be both a just person and do the right thing, which is divorce her. He didn't have to have that situation, but he was also going to be the merciful person who did it quietly and privately so she could go on with her life in some way. So can you imagine that as the story goes, Joseph says, okay, I've got this figured out. I know what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to get out of this whole problem and things are going to go on with me. I'll, I'll get rid of M- Mary, and now I can start over again. I can find a, a, a wife that's going to meet my needs. I'm not going to have to destroy her. We, we've got our, what I would call, the, the human solutions to the problems of my life. And most of us live our lives trying to find that, aren't we? And that's a good thing. That's, that's, that's what we should all do. And I am really proud to know that Joseph was that kind of a man. I think that's part of what God had in mind when he chose him for this role. But the Bible says that after he had made this decision, God, God entered in with a message. Okay. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, when he said that, remember that he is saying, Joseph, you're in the line of David. You are someone who could be the father of the Messiah. That's that's the significance of that. Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Okay. Put yourself back there in Joseph's thing. You're having a dream. Okay. And the angel appears to you in a dream. Now, if I'd have been Moses, I would have preferred to be wide awake and have the, have, the, have, the, have the angel appear to me when I'm wide awake so I don't have to wonder whether or not this is really happening, okay? But it happens to Joseph in a dream, and he gets this most, most amazing message that just messes up all of his plans and all of his security, all of his answers to what he's going to do with his life. The first thing is he says, the angel says to him is, Joseph... Don't be afraid. What I think this means is, Joseph, what I'm just about ready to tell you is going to take courage from you that goes beyond anything that just about any man has had to deal with. Because, you see, to do what he is just about ready to be asked to do is going to require of Joseph to put his reputation on the line, even be willing to give up his good name to do what he's being asked to do. Because you know what he's being asked to do. He's being asked to marry someone who's an adulteress. That's what it sounds like. And regardless of what Joseph begins to believe about who Jesus and who the, who the baby is and how the baby was conceived, I guarantee you there's nobody else that's going to believe this story. 
In other words, if, Moses, or if, if Joseph were to go out later on and say, well, the reason I marry her is, is, is this baby was conceived by a virgin, and it's a, and it's a, it's a miraculous birth. And, uh, and uh, it, it, Mary's not been unfaithful. She's been, it, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what people are going to say? What kind of a fool are you, Joseph? Do you really believe that? How in the world can you marry this woman knowing what she's done? Okay, this is what Joseph, Joseph is being asked on the basis of what this, what this angel is telling him to do is he is basically being asked to forfeit all of his reputation for the sake of God's purposes. I don't know if you're like me, but I happen to really care what other people think. Does anybody else really worry about what other people are thinking of you? And, and most of the time, we as Christians get to have the privilege of people saying, well, he's a Christian, he's a good guy. He's the righteous person. But that's not what Joseph is being asked to do. He's being asked to take who he is and be willing to sacrifice all of that reputation, all of those good thoughts, all of those good things, and to do the right thing for the cause of the kingdom. Do you realize that to be a person who is a part of the kingdom of God today is more than ever going to require of us to realize that to be true to what God is calling us to be and to do is going to probably cause people to say bad things about you, about me. We are being called to be a people who are going to hear God's word and say, Lord, I want to be and do the, what you call me to do, even if the world around me is going to criticize me and gonna, 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 going to uh, even persecute me for the things that you've been asked me to do. That's what Moses, or not Joseph, not Moses, Joseph is being asked to do. He, he, he's being asked to have courage, and he's being asked to believe a ridiculous answer. Ridiculous by the world's standards. An impossible answer. That the one who is being born is of the Holy Spirit. It's the miraculous birth of Jesus. One of the things that Matthew wants us to be absolutely convinced of, that this Jesus, this Messiah, is more than just a king that comes in the line of, of, of the David. He's not just an earthly king, but he is himself a divine king. And Joseph, you are the one to become his adoptive father to give credibility to who he is. Okay? It requires courage. It requires faith. And it also requires the recognition that you are participating in the miracle of salvation. Um, there's a little passage that says, all of this was done to fulfill what was what was said in the prophet Isaiah, a virgin shall be with child, and, and, um, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, 
most of us have probably read that part and said, ah, what, what, what Isaiah was doing was predicting the virgin birth. The, most of us have probably not really gone back and to see what Isaiah was really talking about in that passage when he talks about, and a virgin will be with child, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The thing you find out, and, and the reality is, is that no, none, none of the Jewish people of Jesus' day actually looked at that passage as a reference to the Messiah. What Christians have been able to do is look back and say, this is how God works when it comes to sending his Messiah. The way God works is he brings about miraculous births, and that birth has one purpose. And that purpose is that through the birth of this child, God's presence becomes real. Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph, your purpose is to be the one who brings into, as a family, this presence of God in which God now exists and lives among us. He is with us. God's not up there. He is now among us and with us, and he comes into his existence through this birth that we now refer to as the virgin birth. Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, let me ask you something. If you'd gotten a dream like this, how excited would you have been about trying to follow through with that? There's something else I learned. Joseph was not only committed to being righteous. He was also committed to being sensitive and receptive to whatever God says. Lord, if you make your will clear to me, I will do it, even if it costs me everything. And it just about probably did. For to marry Mary would result in him losing all of his reputation and his credibility as a righteous man. There were going to be people that say, Joseph, you're not doing what God wants you to do because you're not divorcing this woman. But instead he was doing not what men said, but what God said. I want to be that kind of person, don't you? Well, the story says, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and she gave him the name Jesus. It's one thing to hear from God and to know what God wants you to do. It's another thing to follow through with obedience. And that's what Joseph did. And that... Obedience was not something that was going to bear for Joseph immediate benefits at all. Have you ever wondered why we don't hear much about Joseph after the birth? He kind of falls off. We hear one other time after the birth of Jesus and all of that, and that is when Jesus is 12 years old and they go to the temple and so forth, and Jesus acts like a teenager. In a right way, a good way, but, you know, the way he talked to his mom and dad at that point, I sound like a teenager talking to me, doesn't it? Do you look at it sometime? I won't go into that right now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Okay. Uh, 
people think, this guy's a nut. I am. Uh, but, um, but, um, but, but after that, we don't know anything about Joseph. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, we hear a lot about Mary, but we don't hear much about Joseph. But Joseph had the courage to do the right thing, even though it benefited him hardly anything. Um, it also required him to, <laughs> the, the benefit, you know, it, 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 he, the, the passage makes the point that after he took Mary home, that they did not consummate the marriage, okay, which means they were celibate throughout the rest of the pregnancy. Now, why, he, why, does, why, does, why does Matthew think we need to know that? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you why. He wants us to know that Joseph was absolutely committed to being the man that he needed to be to be this person in Jesus' life that he was willing to sacrifice even that part of what should have been a benefit for the sake of his son, of Jesus. And he, in, he finally did the one thing it says, that one thing in Je- jo- <laughs> that, that Joseph does that fits it all, he says, and he gave him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves because Jesus is going to save his people from his sins. By the way, do you know that Jesus is not an unusual name in those days? Lots of people were named Jesus. So when Joseph gave him that name, he was giving him a name that probably by the world's standards, Jesus didn't deserve. But that's what he fulfilled. Okay, so... Joseph becomes, I believe, in the Christmas story, the unsung hero who doesn't do the easy thing but does the right thing, the merciful thing, but most importantly, he does the obedient thing to fulfill God's purposes in the birth of Jesus. And this story establishes three things that we need to know about Jesus, maybe four. But I'm going to point these three. Number one, Jesus is. Somebody's calling me. Can't believe I did that. <laughs> Isn't that awful? <laughs> and I can guarantee you the robocall. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, first of all, the one thing that he wants to establish is that Jesus is the Messiah. The promised one, the anointed one, the one they've been waiting for, the one who is going to fulfill and bring the kingdom of God to be near and to be amongst us. He is the king. The number two, Jesus is the one that takes God out of heaven and brings him to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin birth more than anything else, is not to establish the divinity of Jesus as much as it is the willingness of God, I believe, to become at one with us as a human being, to live and be amongst us, to identify with us in every way. 
In the Sunday school class I attended this morning, we were talking about the temptations of Jesus. The fact that Jesus himself was willing to, be, to, to experience all things in this life as we have. He is God with us, and because he is with us, we know he identifies fully with us. When Jesus died upon that cross, he really died. Emmanuel, God with us. But perhaps the most important thing that Joseph did is he named Jesus, Jesus, Savior. The one who will save his people from their sins. What Jesus came to do was to do for all men what they most need, and that is to die in our place so that our forgiveness and salvation could be possible. And in that Christmas story, all of that becomes real. We become aware of our Savior, Jesus. God saves. But here's the question I would like to ask you this morning. None of us are probably going to um, find ourselves in the kind of circumstances in which Joseph found himself. But from time to time, and maybe even right now, we are being called to be the kind of person Joseph was. In this world, this world needs to see people who are committed to being for Jesus in this world, who Jesus, who Joseph was for Jesus. Let me just remind you what they are. Committed totally to righteousness, to doing and being what God commands in his word. But to take that righteousness and also be a person of mercy and grace, to do what's best in both of those situations. But even more than that, to be the kind of person who says, Lord, if you speak to me and make your way clear, even though it costs me everything, I'll do it. I'll be obedient. I'll serve you. I will be used of you, even if it seems like by the standards of the world that it doesn't make any difference. To be a person who has courage and obedience and a willingness to follow through whatever God calls us to do. I guess my question is, who of us will be a Joseph to a world that needs to see that type of person. Would you stand with me, please? In closing this morning, I'd like for us to sing that chorus once again. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate that today. But let us realize that when God came to be here and to be with us, he came also to change us and to use us and to give us the opportunity to be in a world that needs to see something different than what they see around them. And we can be an example, not only of Jesus, but of the Father, the adoptive Father of Jesus, like Joseph. Lord, teach us today to let the example of Joseph show us how we too can participate in the work of the Messiah Emmanuel, Savior, 
by being faithful to what you call us to do and to be. We pray in Jesus' name.